Coming to you from St. George, Utah, this is 70 is the New 50, a fun look at the joyous side of aging. And now your host for 70 is the New 50, Jan Graham Hunt. And welcome to 70 is the New 50. I'm your host, Jan Hunt. And sometimes I say Jan Graham Hunt, and sometimes I say Jan Graham, and they're all the same people. And yes, the good news is, in year 2022, we are getting younger and healthier as we age. This podcast will explore that wonderful reality and shine some light on inspiring examples. A little about me, I'm a recovering lawyer, transplant from Salt Lake City. My husband and I have been here for eight years, and we love it. And it turns out that St. George, yes, is a mecca for pickleball, which I love, hiking and biking, but also vast opportunities for learning and personal growth. Why this this podcast? The credit goes to my brilliant son, Will, who is a creator, host, and contributor for podcasts in Los Angeles. Uh, Will showed me the world of podcasts and inspired me to try this one. At the outset, let's make one thing clear. Aging is not a negative. It's a victory. We're proud of our age, and more importantly, what we are doing at our age. I'm thrilled to be 72 and counting. And finally, the setting for our recording today, we are in the podcast room, run by Sean Denovan on the beautiful Dixie State University campus, soon to be Utah Tech University, Go UTU in gorgeous St. George, Utah, which we know as the cultural epicenter of the West. Last week, we talked about two great programs here in St. George, ICL, the Institute for Continued Learning, and the LIVE program, which is fairly new and is focused on the entire community of greater St. George. Our guest today... Well, he's a celebrity in St. George. Rick Miller has been teaching classes in geological science for over 50 years, first in Southern California, and by some crazy luck for us, now in St. George, at ICL at the university here. Welcome, Rick Miller. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Will you take a moment and tell us about uh, your personal background, your family, and how you discovered St. George, Utah. Well, um, I guess the first thing maybe to point out is that I discovered geology after flunking out of UCLA as a pre-med major (laughs) and took a geology class in the summer of 1962 and realized halfway through it, that's what I wanted to do. And so that's what I did. And I kind of stumbled through a career in geology. And then in uh, the summer of 2000, came here to St. George on on our way to Colorado Uh to visit some friends. And we stayed overnight. Uh, here in, in the uh, Motel 6, got gas at the Sinclair Station. Place. Yes, it was beautiful. And we noticed that up on Foremaster Ridge, they were starting to build homes. So we drove up there and driving around. And, and there's this is you and your wife. Yes. And this lot was for had a big sale sign on it. And we dro- walked out on this lot and I looked and I looked to the to the left and I could see Pine Valley Mountain. Looked straight ahead and there was the cliffs of Zion Canyon. And to the right was the Arizona Strip. And we look at each other, my wife and I, and go, my God, from Southern California, this lot must be a fortune. And as we're talking, this realtor drives by. And we ran out in the street and stopped her and, and said, do you know how much this lot is that they're asking? You know, and she says, well, I'll call and find out. 
hangs up, says they're asking $89,000 <laughs> and they'll take an offer. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I go, this is incredible. I said, well, do you know how much it costs to build a home up here? And the woman says, why don't you talk to my husband? He's a general contractor. And it's like, this is weird. So we talked to him and he, you know, told us it would be about 200000 to build a home at that time. So I said, well, you know what? If we do this and they take our offer, I'll just retire. And that's how I got here. <laughs> and uh, and, it's and turned that didn't out to, happen. And it, yeah. And it turned out to be a ge geological wonderland. So it's a cultural center and it's a geological wonderland. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Rick, when I was trying to figure out which teacher at ICL I should have on the podcast first, I asked several people and they all said the same thing. You have to start with Rick Miller. So I call you the rock star of ICL because you're so popular and everyone loves your classes, but you're a rock star for another reason. Your vast expertise is in fact in rocks, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Real, ro real rocks. Yeah. And tell me about maybe if you have a specialty or a particular focus. I do. Um, I'm actually a micropaleontologist, although, uh, you know, I'm a lot larger than you think. But uh, I study <laughs> microscopic fossils, and this this whole discovery and study was by accident. Collected oh. a rock back in 1971 in Death Valley, and uh, dissolved it and discovered there was little microscopic fossils in it. So I went to the library to look up what they were, and it turned out that no one had published on these type of microfossils from Southern California, and that was my career professionally. Amazing. So I sort of stumbled into it. And, and really, you're still with it? Uh, what, well, I don't, I don't do any professional publications, but I do a lot of general geological information and publish various kinds of articles and books and stuff. And um, <clears throat> why is St. George so interesting to you as a geologist? Uh, well, it turns out that this whole, the western half of the United States is essentially an amazing place. If you look at all the national parks that we have in the country, and national monuments, the vast majority of them are located in the western U.S. And, and if you take St. George, let's say, as a center point, um, there's a huge number of monuments and parks within less than a day's drive of here. And there's really nowhere else in the country that's like that. Yeah, it's incredible. In yeah. fact, um, I was in your class yesterday and you showed the map of, um, yeah. gee, the Grand Canyon and... Yeah. Uh, what else is just within a drive? Well, there's the Petrified Forest, uh, right. and there's Chaco Canyon, uh, and there's uh, you know, uh, and the Grand Canyon, of course, you mentioned. Right. Uh, and then just a little bit outside of that map was Zion Canyon and Bryce Canyon, and yeah. there's about a half a dozen or more national monuments that are you know available also. Yeah. So it's just you know you just kind of stick a pin in a map, and you're going to hit a national mm -hmm. monument or park, and you go there. You're going to go to an amazing place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard that, uh, I've heard this from the leaders over at ICL, that really good classes at ICL, 50 or 60 people will sign up, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. But for your class, 200 people sign up. Yeah. What's going on? What are you doing in your classes? Um, I'm a ham. Okay, that's... A par uh, yeah, a partial mm -hmm. ham. Okay, so I, I throw in, I guess, humor <laughs> or something. And, and there's kind of an irony there because I remember back in high school, we had speech class. You know, we all, right? And I was petrified to get up in front of people and talk. It's like, I hope the bell rings. I don't want to get up here and talk. Oh my, amazing. Yeah, and so of, of all the careers I would have ever thought of, being a professor and lecturing to students would have not been the likelihood. 
That's, inc- that's incredible. And and I don't know how it happened. <laughs> how, how many classes would you say you've taught at ICL? And I know that that's not your only teaching forum yeah. here in St. George, but just through the Institute of Continued Learning. Well, I've, this year is my 19th year of teaching for ICL, and mm. I usually do one class a year. And a couple of years I did two. But basically, I've probably done about 20 to 21 classes over the years. Incredible. Yeah. And I know you're, te- you're doing other things in the community. Um, mm-hmm. For those who are listening out there, you can find Rick Miller online. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But give me some examples of what you're doing outside of teaching through the Institute of Continued Learning. Well, one of the things I've done for most of my life is being an exercise freak. Uh, and uh-huh. So I do a lot of that. Um, I've also, I also was a car guy um, into Corvettes. Oh, my. Okay. And, uh, in fact, in 1991, I had 13 of them. And I think this is called OCD. Oh, is my goodness. Where would you store all these Corvettes? I had a lot of friendly neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> so I use a lot of driveways and, and, and garages and stuff. Uh, and then I got into buying and selling parts, which I still do online. Uh, and so, I've, you know, I've been dabbling with that. And then I have a house full of animals that I take care of. Oh, uh, let's tell us a little more about that. Okay, well... It's a great I, place to be an animal lover, St. George. Sure. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, uh, there's a sign somewhere in my property that says, free food, show up. Oh, right. And uh, so I've got six cats, eight <laughs> birds, uh, and the cats have, have brought me presents. I've got a couple of snakes, a couple of lizards, um, a chipmunk, <laughs> uh, about two dozen mice, and probably some other things that I've forgotten. <laughs> so it's just entertaining. Sounds like a great menagerie. It, it's uh, it's time consuming also. It, I figure it takes about four hours a day, plus all the time I have to pet them and scratch them and play with them. Now, you talked about exercise. Um, we've talked about St. George, of course, a mecca for biking and hiking yep. and just uh, wandering around. What What's your take on that? Um, well, uh, my, my exercise has been uh, basically being a gym rat and a runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mostly what I've done. And then the last three or four years, I've taken up yoga. Uh, and, and so I've enjoyed it. But uh, fantastic! I, yeah, it, it, there's a little story behind this. Let's right. hear it. When I was in high school, you know how they chose up teams for, for okay. Well, I was usually the last or second to last one taught, uh, chosen for a team because I was pretty much the smallest guy in the class. And uh, we graduated and went off to college. And then we had a summer vacation. We came back to college, and I ran into a fellow that I knew from high school that had gotten all buffed out. I remember his name was Neil Rayburn. And I, I looked at him. I go, Neil, what did you do? And he says, oh, I joined a gym. I went home, and I said, hey, I want to join a gym. And, and I was 18 years old, and that was in 1960. And uh, that's what I've been doing since. And it took... And that explains everything you're talking about, explains why you're doing all you're doing with such vitality now. And would it be cheeky of me to ask your age? Uh, Well, I'm going to be 80 in July. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, And and the other other side of the coin was um, when I got got into running by accident, uh, long distance running. And when did that happen? And that was in 1971. One of my neighbors said, hey, let's, let's go down the street and run at the track at U- University High School. I lived in Los Angeles. And I went down and went, and I started running the track, and I never stopped. Oh. And I went to a race in 1973 in Santa Barbara. And before the race, the night before, we had a fellow named Nathan Pritikin give a talk. And he wrote a book that called Live Longer Now. And it was involved basically with Live diet. Live Longer Now. 
Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. Great. And he studied uh, Oriental people and looked at their diet and then looked at what happened when they <clears throat> migrated to the United States and mm-hmm. became Americanized. Asian people. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what he discovered was is that cardiovascular disease, cancer, and a variety of other things really didn't show up in these Asian people until they came to the United States and started having an American diet. Oh. And so he, I basically have progressed to the point where almost, almost a, a vegetarian pretty much now. Right, yeah. right. And uh, it just made a spectacular difference. Okay. So I've been running and weightlifting and having a diet and being obnoxious for, for decades. Fantastic. So it's fun. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the series that you have recorded right here in the podcast room called yeah. Scientific Controversies. Yeah. It's a video recorded lecture series for, it's for ICL. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's available on online. All the Correct. and how many how many sessions were recorded? We did eleven podcasts. Eleven podcasts, and just tell me a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish with that, and and uh, what what the series involves. Well, the, kind of the idea behind it was that I've you've noticed over the last few years there's a significant anti science push, so to speak, in, yes. in the United States. We've noticed that. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, well, there's a, some interesting controversies that would be worthwhile talking about. For example, uh, the, the theory of evolution or the age of the earth, um, you know, just things like that. And I thought it would be fun to make podcasts. And, and Rob Kramer, director of ICL, thought that was a great idea. So he sent me over to Sean here and he had to sit through and listen to these, my ranting along. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a honestly a fabulous series and okay. it's a series that asks the big questions. There's a lot of talk about rocks. Uh, But as you say, there's a lot more afoot here in in the series, and that is, uh, I think you cast a revealing light on on why we have the scientific method and why we have science, Mm -hmm. period. And uh, it's really more about, as as humans, how we think and how we make decisions, right? Yes, very definitely. Yeah. And, you know, we're programmed, basically, by what we hear and what we read and what we see. Sure. So it, it depends on what you're introduced to, basically. And you highlighted in the uh, in this one of the series I watched was the survey. I believe in 2012, a survey of adults in the U.S. showed that 25 percent of them still believe in geocentrism mm-hmm. that the the Earth is the center of the universe. Yeah. Um. How do you explain that survey, Rick? What's, what, do you, what do you think? Well, you know, assuming that it was a legitimate survey, which I, <laughs> we don't know for sure, but I, we're, we're going to go with that. Yeah. And the idea is, is that uh, people uh, kind of grow up with certain beliefs. You know, and I've learned this from Dr. Kramer, all right, from the ICL. Yes. And that basically you invest your personality in this, some kind of a belief. And so you want to stick with it because if you, if you hear something that goes against this belief, it kind of messes up your head and a lot of people don't want to go there. Right. And so I think that's one of the problems. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, the American Dairy Association did a poll just a few years ago and they came up with the discovery that 7% of the people that they polled believed that chocolate milk came from brown cows. Oh my. Yeah, so that was kind of an interesting thing, too. So there's just stuff, you know. Yes. Um, what do you think is, and you, you've talked about it a little bit there, but 
What is really at the heart of the anti-science attitude, or shall I call it movement? It seems to be gaining a little bit of ground these days. It, you know, is it fear? Is it a belief that other people are evil and are trying to hurt us? It is, is it a resentment of education? What, well, I what think do you, how do you see it? I think you've kind of hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> For one thing, definitely fear, uh, because change is scary. Right. right. And the kinds of changes that we've seen in the last couple of decades are mind boggling technological changes. Uh, yes. And the other thing is, of course, is people don't like education. A lot of a lot of people don't like education. If, if you want to control people, you can't educate them. Uh, it it, it kind of goes against, you know, if you look at any autocratic regime anywhere in the world, one of the first things they do is get rid of the intelligentsia and cut down on education. And so that's a way of keeping them from the ability to make independent yeah. observations yeah. Yeah. or what uh, is critical thinking. Yeah. It just, you know, you don't introduce people to concepts that you don't want them to hear because that might affect your power over them. Mm -hmm. And you just, and that's the control, the authoritarianism, Authority. you might say, yeah. of you don't need to be educated. We'll tell you what to think. Yeah. Is the anti-science movement grounded in that? And uh, if so, who's telling them this? Well, I, that's a tough question. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I, yeah, who's, who's doing the, the, the telling? And I don't really think there's a specific group of people that are doing it. I think it's just sort of ingrained. I think uh, part of it is conservative thought. Part of it is religious beliefs. So there's a number of different things yes. that are involved. Yes. Uh, and, and those can uh, be good things. Yeah. And and sometimes they well, they it, contribute to this problem as well. Know, for sure. So it, it's like everything else. It's, you know, it's a two-edged sword. Balance, right. Yeah. So how do we talk to each other, Rick Miller? How, how do we talk to each other when there's such a huge gap in what we consider basic essential knowledge, which is mm. how you view science and... And many of us do. Yeah. And one of the things I should point out is I was brought up in a religious uh, environment. Oh, tell us yeah. about that. Oh, well, okay. Well, I, I was, uh, in fact, one of the examples would be used when I came home from school that in 1962 and said, hey, I want to become a geologist. My mom looked at me and said, who ever heard of a Jewish geologist? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was I was brought up in a Jewish faith. I had some of my relatives were were even rabbis and such, and I was yeah. bar mitzvah. I went through the whole thing. Great. Um, and at, at the end of my bar mitzvah, my folks, I said, "Well, do I still have to go to Hebrew school?" And they said, "It was up to you." And so I just quit. And they let you make that decision. Yeah. You know. And so they were enlightened in that respect. And I have looked over the years. At, I've gone to different church services for different denominations, uh, and uh, no, nothing's ever taken. I just, it's, it's, for me, at least it was too narrowly focused mm -hmm. and it just ignored a whole lot of things that were going on. And that you're actually seeing in, in your yeah. career and your profession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you gotten in, in your, yeah, as I mentioned, you've taught geological science for over 50 years. Have you, you're, you're, you're out there with some fairly provocative material. Mm -hmm. um, people obviously love it. People have all stripes seem to love it. Yeah. Have you gotten any response to any of your courses or uh, presentations that's been uh, something that you would characterize as hateful or threatening? Well, actually, uh, it would right before the year before uh, the COVID hit, 
Um, and we had a fellow that came into my, one of my lectures one day and wanted, wanted equal time to talk about how the Great Flood created the Grand Canyon. Uh, and he got fairly belligerent about it. And so they finally came and escorted him out of class. And it turned out he, he wasn't enrolled in the class and he was kind of trespassing over the university. But I think that's probably the most extreme problem that I've had. That, that's, a, that's a good example. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of emails or people who communicate with you after your classes, it's been fairly supportive. It yeah, like. very, very little negative stuff. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, is there someone, uh, Rick Miller, along the way who has inspired you, who made a big impact on you on uh, how you could make the most of your time in the world? You know, I've, I've been thinking about that, and, and I can't really put my finger on, say, that, that were, there was ever anyone that said, I want to be like that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had uh, some of my professors in school that I thought, I like the way they're doing things, and so I've kind of absorbed some of their ideas. Uh, but there's no, nobody that I can really say that I wanted, that was my idol. Right, a, a, a role model of yeah. sorts, but maybe just observing other people. And you're obviously a unique character. You've, you've, you're an independent thinker. You're a, you're a, an adventurer. You're an explorer, as yeah. you mentioned. You'll, you'll be eighty soon, and you're uh, out there in the world like a forty-year-old, maybe we could say, or a thirty-year-old. And what explains that? What do you think the, in terms of the factors of your life? I think basically I got lucky because I was blessed with high intelligence. And, yes. and I also, for some reason or other, was, was able to absorb drawbacks. Um, you know, I flunked out of UCLA. Right. I also flunked out of University of Texas. All right. And... Um, and by the way, and those I, were character build, character building events. Yeah, well, I, I flunked out of University of Texas <laughs> in 1969. In the, oh, all right. right. And so I drove back to Los Angeles with one of my Corvettes, and I'm sitting at my folks' house, <laughs> and the phone rings, and it's a Thursday afternoon in January, and it's from San Fernando Valley State College, where I went and got my bachelor's degree in geology. And the chairman says, "Hi, Rick. We heard you did a really good job as a teaching assistant as a grad student." And one of our part-time faculty has quit. And so we want to know if you would like to teach two classes as an instructor this semester. And, and I said, yeah, what, twist my arm? Yeah, of course. All right. And I said, well, when do classes start? And he goes, Monday. And this was on a Thursday that he called. <laughs> and so that's how my career started. Just stumbled yeah. into it. You know, right. and so, kind of serendipitous. Yeah. And that's my whole career has been like that. It yeah. just boggles my mind. I didn't plan any of this stuff, and I'm here. And maybe that's a key. Well, I suppose. But, yeah, you know, that's so. fascinating. Well, you know, we all have these existential moments in our lives. They sometimes yeah. happen at three in the morning and it hits us. Uh, what is my life about? What do I want my life to be about that? Um, how do you answer that question? Uh, what I basically am hoping is that I can continue doing and having a good time and being physically and mentally fit for as long as possible. Uh, you know, um, there is there is one negative problem that I've noticed, and that is that it's very difficult to find um, kindred spirits, or close kindred spirits. You know, I basically have no family. Uh, my wife and I are divorced, but we're best friends. Wonderful. Even I'm, I'm best friends with her and her husband, in fact. Wonderful. Um, but it's very difficult, and I think St. George is kind of a small 
melting pot in that respect. And it's very difficult to find someone. For right. me, it's been. And I think that's, that's such an honest statement. And I think it's one that many, many of us can yeah. relate to. And uh, so uh, we, we all seek that balance, don't we? Uh, yeah, for not sure. too much, but yeah. some, right. Um, well, Rick Miller, it has been wonderful to have you as right. my guest. And I hope we will do this again. There's so much more I'd like to ask you. Okay. Uh, you can find out more about Rick's classes on the ICL website at icl.dixie.edu. I like to close each episode with something that has inspired me about the brave new world of aging. Last week, it was a book. This week, it's another podcast. It's called 70 Over 70. It's by Max Linsky. It's kind of a flip on the 30 under 30 features we see everywhere about people under 30 doing exciting things. Well, Max Linsky's podcast is, is about people over 70 doing exciting things. In fact, my son Will told me about it, and it really is the inspiration for this podcast. Um, he uh, interviews lots of celebrities and regular people. I love it. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you to our guest, Rick Miller, and thanks to all of you for joining us for 70 is the New 50. Stay curious, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining us for 70 is the New 50. In coming episodes, you will meet the rock stars in our community who are sharing their expertise to empower us to stay young, healthy, and happy as we age. We'll see you on the next episode of 70 is the New 50. In the meantime, live long, live well, and live with joy. This has been a production from a podcast studio.